our Father who art in heaven. Today we remember those men and women who have died in service to our country. We pause to reflect on the lives sacrificed while protecting our freedoms. We confess that most days we are oblivious to the price paid by men and women in uniform and yet we live every day in the freedom they laid down their lives to give us. So today, we recall the words of Jesus when he said, greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. And let us not forget that each life lost represents other lives that are left to pick up the pieces. We lift up widows and widowers, brothers and sisters, parents and children of the service men and women who fought valiantly for our country. We ask for your peace and comfort to never leave them. God, we thank you for the lives of these men and women. May their memory and their service never be forgotten. Amen. Well, welcome to Forward Church on this Memorial Day weekend. Listen, if you have a family member or friend that gave their life for our freedom, we certainly want you to know that we are grateful and that you are in our prayers this weekend as well during Memorial Day. You know, may we never forget the sacrifices of the men and women who have given their lives so that we could enjoy the freedoms that we have here in America. One of those freedoms being our freedom to worship God and to teach others about the hope that comes through faith in Jesus. Now, speaking of hope, we have been working our way through the Old Testament, and last week we covered the book of Judges. If you just read that book alone, if you just took Judges out of the Bible and just read it, then it appears that all hope is lost. I mean, the nation of Israel is spinning out of control. The judges are failing to rescue the people, and the people are longing for a king. Well, the very next book of the Bible is the book of Ruth. So go ahead and turn there in your Bible. The book of Ruth brings hope among the darkness. In fact, the first time the word hope is used in the Bible is found here in Ruth. Now, in English, the word hope often implies something we want to happen, but we're not sure that it's going to happen. You know, we say things like, I sure hope that we get to stop wearing masks soon, but we're not sure when that's going to happen or if it will. Or I hope that my car won't break down. We're not sure that those things will happen, but we are hoping for them. Now, the biblical hope by contrast, is not something you're unsure about, but it's something that you're very sure about that just hasn't happened yet. So biblical hope is very different than what we continue, tend to think of. Uh, it's something you look forward to with expectation, something that reshapes your entire outlook on life. Biblical hope is a confidence in something that we believe with all of our heart to be true. And Ruth is about that kind of hope. The setting, as I mentioned, is an incredibly dark time. If you remember from last week in the book of Judges, it traces this continual cycle of disobedience and idolatry of the Israelites. The Israelites are on a downward spiral, and the book ends in total moral chaos. The Israelites, they're, they're just as bad, if not worse, than the Canaanites that they had driven out of the promised land. So the story of Ruth takes place in the last of those dark days, right after the story of Samson, when things seem about as bad as they could be. 
As we ended off last week, we know that Samson is now dead. He took out a ton of the enemy with his death, but he's gone. No longer there to, to help his people. And there's a famine in the land. So Ruth 1.1 opens up and says this. says, In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. And a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The land that was to be flowing with milk and honey is now under this severe famine because of the sin of Israel. It was so bad, in fact, that they were fleeing the promised land to find food elsewhere. That's not the way it was supposed to be. But this family decides to go to Moab to look for work and to find food. And then verse 2 says this, The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Chilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. Now, Elimelech means my God is king. Names are very important. Apparently, he was a devout and prosperous man that looked to God as king, and he was from Bethlehem. That's the very place that the Messiah, the King Jesus, would one day come from. So important. So they settled in Moab, and the sons married Moabite women. But Elimelech dies, and he leaves Naomi with his, her two sons and their wives, Ruth and Orpah. But after about 10 years, the Bible says, both of those sons died as well. So this left Naomi a widow with her two daughters-in-law and no sons to take care of her. So Naomi releases the daughters-in-law to go back to their families, says, you go back to your families and, and, and leave, me, leave me to be, you know. And after some convincing, Orpah goes back. But Ruth stays with Naomi, and she speaks the famous verse of commitment, Ruth 1, 16. says, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you, for where you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. So Ruth believes in God and is committed to God and to Naomi, and she makes this speech of, I'm sticking with you. So Naomi and Ruth, they journey back to Naomi's hometown, to Bethlehem. And then in Ruth chapter 2, we see that they are widows. They have no food. They have no jobs. They have no one to help them or to take care of them. And Naomi is in a very dejected state at this point in her life. She believes that God is in control of all things, but she seems to have lost hope for her future. She doesn't seem to have hope anymore. The Bible says that when they arrived in the, in the town, the whole town stirred. And they asked, is this Naomi? And she says, don't call me Naomi anymore, which means pleasant. Instead, call me Mara, which means bitter, because the Almighty has dealt bitterly with me. She has changed. She's not the pleasant woman that she once was. Naomi is allowing the circumstances of her life to define who she is now. And how many of us find ourselves in a place like that? Life hits us hard. We experience loss. We have great pain in our life. And, if, and we've lost the joy and the pleasantness that we once had. And we say, you know, just call me bitter. Well, that's where Naomi finds herself. But there's always hope. And that's what we're about to find in this book. Her name can be restored. And you need to know that so can yours. Ruth notices that they have a relative who owns some fields where grain is being harvested. So Ruth does what, what poor people did in those days. Chapter 2, verse 3 says, So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. 
Now, God had commanded in Leviticus 3 that reapers should only pass through their fields once. They would harvest the grain, and anything they dropped or they couldn't carry out their first time through, then they were not to go back and clean it up. They are to leave it there so the poor could come and gather it. This was a simple way of providing for the poor people. The extra was left behind for the needy to gather. You see, God has always had a plan to care for the poor, and that plan was through the generosity of his people. You leave behind what you can't carry the first time and let others have it. So Ruth goes out to pick up what the reapers had left behind, and she just so happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech, who is, of course, Naomi's deceased husband. So you've got this relative here. There's two things you see in that part of the passage. First, saying that Boaz is a relative of theirs is a really good thing for them because it means there may be someone around to help them, to take care of them. Second, that phrase, it just so happened, is going to be repeated a couple of times in the book of Ruth with intended irony. She, she just so happened to stumble into this particular field. This is the kind of coincidence that is too random to just happen. It doesn't just happen out of nowhere. That's what's happening here. What seems to be a totally random coincidence, but it's all being woven together by our sovereign God. There's no dramatic miracles throughout the book of Ruth, but we see sovereignly controlled circumstances where God is in control because both of those are ways that God works supernaturally in the world with miracles and with controlled circumstances. Look at verse 4. It says, And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Now, Boaz in Hebrew means strength. He's a rugged man. He's strong. He's successful. He owns these fields, and everybody loves him. He's blessing them. He's honoring the Lord, blessing the people, and they bless him back. Then he asks a very important question in verse 5. He says, whose young woman is this? Boaz notices Ruth, and he wants to know who she is and if she is already taken. Now, if you underline stuff in your Bible, which I do, I underline all the time, underline that question, because that question is the fundamental question of the whole book of Ruth. And I'll tell you why in just a little bit. He says, whose woman is this? It's actually a fascinating question and tells us a lot about Boaz and about his heart for people. Because to a Jewish audience, Ruth had three strikes against her. First of all, she's a Moabite woman, which the Jews regarded as a cursed people. Second, she's a widow, so there's so many in that day that would have regarded her as useless and turned their back on her. And third, she's poor, which they saw as a sign of God's judgment upon her. But Boaz represents a different kind of man in Israel. He's giving us a picture of God's love. So Boaz tells her, do not glean in another field or leave this one. And that's his way of telling her, you stick around, you stay with me, and I will take care of you. So he goes on in verse 9 and says, let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Now, again, this is amazing. As a Moabite woman, if she was tolerated in Israel at all, she would have been expected to serve any Jewish men present like she was their slave. She would be getting the water for them. She would be serving them. But Boaz says, you don't have to be our servant. We're going to treat you like family, and we're going to serve you. And in verse 14 says, And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come here, and eat some bread, and dip your morsel in the wine. 
So she sat beside the reapers, and he passed to her roasted grain. And she ate until she was satisfied, and she had some left over. You see, he is wooing her. This is like their first date, having dinner together. He's invited her to dinner with him. Then Boaz makes provision for Ruth to gather whatever she needs and for his men to watch out for her. He's taking care of her in this circumstance. And in verse 20, when Naomi learns of what is happening, she rejoices and makes this comment. May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her that this man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. Now, I want us to talk about that word redeemer for a minute. It's very important. In those days, if you were in debt, your property was deeded out to someone else in order to pay off those debts. But here was the deal. You had the right to buy it back anytime. You just had to have the money to purchase it. So if you couldn't do that, then a family member could purchase it for you. And that family member was called a kinsman redeemer. A kinsman redeemer. Now, a kinsman redeemer had to have three things. First of all, they had to have the right. So they had to be the closest living relative that was willing to do this. Second, the resources. They had to have the money to pay off the debt. And then third, they had to have the resolve. They had to want to do this. So they had to want to be a part of it. Well, Boaz, he's a relative, and Boaz is wealthy. So he's got the right, and he's got the resources. The question is, does he have the resolve? Does he want to do this? Well, we'll see. You know, Naomi says to Ruth in chapter 3, verses 3 through 8, she says, Wash therefore and anoint yourself and put on your cloak and go down to the threshing floor, but do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies, Then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, All that you say, I will do. And verse 6 says, So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. Now, This seems extremely forward of her to do this. This is definitely not something that we would recommend in our culture, right? So it seems way out of bounds to us. However, in that culture, what she was doing is this would be interpreted to be an official request for marriage, and it worked. She was not making a bold advance at him. Instead, she was humbly laying at his feet in an act of submission. So Ruth was much younger than Boaz, and Boaz was a man of God, and he would not have initiated the request for marriage out of honor and respect for her in her youth. But Boaz is moved by this, by what Ruth does, and he responds that he would marry her, that he wants to marry her, and that he can reclaim the family inheritance. He would be glad to pay for it. But there's one small complication. You see, there's a closer relative who would have the first right to the land and to Naomi and to Ruth. So Boaz, in chapter 4, goes to the city gate to wait for this man. Boaz then explains the situation. And in verse 4, regarding purchasing the land that Elimelech had left behind at his passing, and that Naomi and Ruth were included in the deal here. And at first, this guy says, yes, I'll redeem it. I'll purchase the land. I'll take care of Naomi. Until he learns that Ruth is a Moabite woman. 
Because by marrying a Moabite woman, this man would jeopardize his own inheritance because the Moabites were hated. So the man gives his right to Boaz. He says, you can have it. And Boaz purchases the land and receives Naomi and Ruth. And he marries Ruth. And the Bible says they have children together. And we learn that the genealogy of Jesus continues through Ruth. If you look at the last part of the last verse of Ruth, you read this. It says, Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered David. So Obed was the father of Jesse, who was the father of David. The people were longing for a king, and God was working things out to bring that king through whom the ultimate king would come. One day, God speaks to the prophet Samuel, and he says, I'm about to begin a brand new era that is going to have ramifications for thousands of years. I'm bringing a king. People in New Albany, Indiana in 2020 will be affected by this king who's coming. So go find me a king for now. And Samuel says, where? Where am I going to find this king? How do I find him? And he says, go to the house of Jesse, the son of Obed, the grandson of Naomi, mother-in-law of Ruth the Moabite. I've chosen one of his sons to be king. So Samuel brings most of his sons out, but not all of them. And it's a no, 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 this, this is not the right guy. And Samuel finally says, Jesse, do you, do you have any more sons? I, I know I'm at the right house. And Jesse says, well, yeah, yeah, the, the youngest, but he's out in the fields and he's no king, so I didn't bring him. And Samuel says, I'll not sit down until you bring this young man in. And then onto the pages of history walks David, the man who would eventually become king. And so David then has a son who has a son who has a son. And several generations later, we have Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus, the son of David, the son of Ruth, who was born in Bethlehem, the hometown of Naomi. Isn't it amazing how the whole Bible begins to connect together when you learn it and begin to understand it? Jesus, the ultimate kinsman redeemer, would come out of the line of Ruth. He has the right, he has the resources, and he has the resolve to be our kinsman redeemer. You see, Jesus had the right because he was our relative. He was born of a woman. He was created by God to be in the flesh for us. He had the resources because he was without sin, without, without sin at all, and with power over death, and he's ruler over all. And he had the resolve. He wants to redeem us. He said, I'll undergo the curse of death. I'll, I'll take on death itself to purchase them back. And in Ruth, we see the whole gospel displayed before our eyes. Do you see how beautifully this gives us a picture of Jesus? The word redemption is used 23 times in Ruth's four short chapters. You see, Jesus came to redeem you. Through Jesus, the unloved are loved. Through Jesus, the poor are restored. Through Jesus, the inheritance that has been lost because of sin is reclaimed through the generosity of another. Through Jesus, bitterness becomes sweet. The book of Ruth starts with death, Naomi losing her husband and her sons, and it ends with a genealogy recounting a list of births. For the world, life starts with birth and ends in death. For the Christian, we realize we're born in death, but God ends our story in life. Through Jesus, we're brought to life. Naomi goes from bitterness to sweetness. She starts the book as a forsaken, sonless, husbandless beggar, and she ends as the grandmother of the Son of God. This is the theme of Ruth and the theme of the Bible. It's the heart of the gospel, and it's God's message to you today that Jesus is our kinsman redeemer. 
that Jesus loves us, that he saw us in our bitter state of being. We were bitter from the sin that separated us from God. We are bitter as children of this world needing our Heavenly Father. We're bitter because without Him, our future is without hope. But listen, your life can change from bitterness and loss to hope and a future and sweetness. The beauty of the gospel is this. God sees us like Boaz saw Ruth. He loves us just as we are. It wasn't even that God loved some future version of us. It's not that He loved what we could become that he could just see us in the future. The Bible tells us God loves us now, even in our sin, even in our defilement. The Bible says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He loves you right where you are. Even in the mess of our sin, he still loves us. Like Ruth, who was a Gentile among the Jewish people, we find ourselves in need of this kinsman redeemer. Sin has brought famine into your life. You've got destroyed relationships. Maybe you have a messed up career. Maybe you feel alone in your own family. God's telling you to humble yourself like Ruth and to lay at the feet of Jesus today. Lay at his feet and proclaim that you desire to be his bride. Now, men, I know that can sound a little weird. That can sound strange. I'm going to be the bride of Christ, to be the bride of Christ. But, but look at this. Here's what that means. Ephesians 5 tells us that Jesus has called the church to be his bride. All believers in Jesus make up the church. And as his collective bride, we are called to be faithful to him, just like we're to be faithful in our marriages here on earth. And when we do that, when we're faithful to him, he redeems us. And when he redeems you, you're to respond in living like Boaz did in the book of Ruth. You see, once we experience the gospel of Jesus and redemption through him, we're to become the gospel to others. This whole book gives a picture of how Israel was supposed to love others in response to God's love for them. And that's why I told you to underline that question in Ruth 2, verse 5. Whose young woman is she? That's what Boaz said. And that's the question we have to ask about people in our lives that person that you think you could never get along with, you ask yourself, whose young woman is she? That annoying person at work, whose son is he? The homeless person, the kid at school who never has lunch, the divorced person, the girl who had an abortion, the boy who rebelled and left home, the frustrating person in your family. You say, whose are they? Are they mainly a problem to be dealt with, or are they people made in the image of God that Jesus died to save and has put in our lives to love? Listen, those of us who have been redeemed by Jesus are to become kinsmen redeemers of others, pointing everyone to the hope that comes through the one true king who can redeem them for eternity. Listen, hope is not lost when you lay your life at the feet of Jesus. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we bow before you today and we lay our lives at the feet of Jesus. We thank you that Jesus is our redeemer. We thank you for taking the bitterness of this life and promising to turn it into sweetness for eternity. We praise you for the gospel that offers us salvation and redemption. We pledge our faithfulness to you today. In the name of Jesus, we pray these things. Amen. Listen, I hope you have a great Memorial Day weekend and we look forward to seeing you next week. been listening to the Forward Church Weekly Podcast. We hope you'll join us next week as we continue in our series, Longing for a King. 
For more information about Forward Giving or to request prayer, visit www.forwardchurchfamily.com.